0: Welcome to All The Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique.
1: Hey, everybody. I am Monique Dusan. Welcome to All The Things show. Now, if you've, if you've watched regularly, you notice that I am by myself. It's a sad day here at the All The Things show. Krista is sick. Please pray for her. She's not feeling well tonight. She may or may not actually be in the chat. I don't know. Um, She was resting when I saw her earlier. And so, womp womp. But we'll pray for her. She's, yeah. It's not Rona. Don't, Don't get all beside yourself. She don't have Rona. But she isn't feeling well. So welcome to All The Things, the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible. Once again, I am Monique Dussan and helping us behind the scenes, we have Bob Bontrager, Bob the Button Pusher. He still doesn't have a camera. Womp womp. Hello, I have
0: a microphone now. Hello.
1: See, he does exist. He used to have a camera and then I took it for the Center for Biblical Unity. And unfortunately, I have not returned it. I do apologize. Also helping us on the show are our guest moderators in the chat room. We have Jeremy Webb out in Chicago, Rachel Shockey out in Tennessee, and our very own Emily Bontrager sitting four feet to my left. So they will be interacting with you on our chat. Get in there, chat. Let us know where you're from. Um, Where are you watching from? Who are you watching with? What are your questions? We have a good show lined up tonight. I am excited to talk about it. And in addition to that, please share the show. Um, Sometimes I feel like Facebook or YouTube will kind of like hide us and put us in the back. But let's get the word out there. Share the show. Click on the like button, the share button. Share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with people you don't like. You know, just share the show. Get the word out there. The show tonight is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity, where our mission is one race, one people, one savior and theology mom, Krista Traeger, and our family 210 clothing shop. If you have not gone to the Center for Biblical Unity website, go to the Center for Biblical Unity website at centerforbiblicalunity.com. And get your CFBU swag. We have shirts, tank tops, baby onesies, whatever you need. I feel like we got you. We got you. Um, we have mugs and we have a great pick of Justin Davis, who is showing off his fancy CFBU One Race, One People, One Savior mug. Thanks so much, Justin, for supporting. Now, when you buy a shirt, five dollars from each shirt goes directly to the Center for Biblical Unity, and it goes to a fund to help us um, with curriculum development. So, a lot of curriculum out there regarding unity has what we what is known as critical race theory. And if you're not familiar with critical race theory, I can't get into it right now. But visit our YouTube page. You can visit the Theology Mom you, um, YouTube page or my youth, um, YouTube page at the Real Monique D, and look at our links on what is critical race theory, go through our content on the great awakening and we'll explain all of that. But I am creating content to be able to talk about unity from a biblical perspective that does not include critical race theory. So, there's that. Um now I shared some videos on the CFBU Center for Biblical Unity Facebook page this week. There was one with me and um, apologist Frank Torek. And then there's another one with... Myself, Bobby Conway, and Alisa Childers. I can't tell you exactly where we were this week and what we were doing, but we did have a lot of fun. Um, and I have this awesome picture with me and everybody's favorite auntie, Auntie Alisa. Yes. And that's us hanging out outside of her hotel after we had, um, gone to get dinner. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to give too much information, but y'all, I had brisket fries. I don't even I don't even know if that's what they were technically called. It was like something frontier fries. These things had barbecue brisket, French fries, barbecue sauce, jalapeno peppers, and Elisa and I just kind of like shared a little bit of that. It was literally like a little piece of heaven it was it was in the south. there was some southern barbecue, and I felt like we literally had stepped into heaven's kitchen to receive this meal. It was so good, so yes we um we we had a good time, and this week it was actually um a conference for apologists and a training for apologists. And so I spent time just learning how to defend the faith. What is it? um, What are some of the steps? What are some of the tools? How do I craft um, my talks or how do I craft a blog or our social media feed so that we are accurately defending the faith and doing so in the best way possible? So that is that. Now, a while back, Krista did a blog post on the Enneagram. I think it was almost a year ago. We're coming up on a year. I think it was like back in October, September, October, where she did a a link on the Enneagram. She or a blog on the Enneagram called Explosion of the Enneagram Among Evangelicals. And she really hit on the idea that the Enneagram is coming into the church and that it has occultic roots. Like it's not this Christian tool or, um, like a Christian, it's not a Christian framework. It doesn't have a in Christianity, even though some people are saying, you know, well, you can use it as a spiritual tool and you can use it uh, to be able to tell you what your personality type is like. And the Lord has really created this. And even if it was, you know, from the occult, then we can still, you know, take the good parts of it and use it. And she was like, not today, Satan, not today. This thing is from the occult. The devil is a lie and we're going to expose it. And so she wrote an awesome blog. We will make sure that the link gets into the chat box so that you can check out this blog. But yeah, she wasn't having it and she was calling everybody out. She was like pastors, congregants, lay people, neighbors. If y'all using the Instagram, you need to go in and stop. Um, so she looked at it from a, a very deeply spiritual point of view, and if you know Krista at all or have sat under any of her teachings, you know that she is extremely precise in in what she puts forward. She's extremely um, diligent in looking at scripture and making sure that we have our definitions clear, and making sure that we're not just taking out one little scripture and being like, "Oh, look, no, not the enneagram." No, she'll she'll be like, "Look, point A, point B." She's gonna wrap it back around and make sure that that we are getting a true look at the historic roots of something and looking at it from a a Christian perspective. So please check out her blog. But... The Enneagram we we see is still coming and it still is making inroads into into churches. And so a couple of weeks ago, Krista approached me about covering the Enneagram on the show and not just, you know, from the blog perspective. And this time looking at it from a scientific point of view, like, is it even valid? And Krista and I, honestly, we've had like our fair share of push and pull regarding the Enneagram. I've taken it a couple of times and um And taking it, I had to take it for work. I had to take it for two different jobs that I, that I was applying for. And I was, when I got my results, I was like, how do they know me so well? Like, what is this that this like random set of questions can tell me all about me? I really, I felt like I had found a new friend. I was like, have you been with me all my life? Have you just been sitting on my shoulder? But it was so clear and so accurate and so I want to know like what makes it so accurate if it's not a a tool that should be used by Christians if it has these occultic practices and when we get into conversations with Jay from a, a scientific perspective if it's not anything you know that we should be using or rooted in science how did it know me so well it literally felt like I was talking to a friend but these are some of the questions we're going to ask is it valid so tonight, our guest is Jay Medenwalt. Um, And thank you, because I am looking at the wrong camera. Uh, Jay has a PhD in social psychology. He has a THM in New Testament and an MDiv from Denver Seminary. So he is definitely... Learned. He knows he knows this stuff and he'll be able to, to answer some of the questions for us of the Enneagram. Now, I know some of y'all may have, you know, participated in the Enneagram. If you still participate in the Enneagram, I need you to listen real clearly. Um, but if you have participated with it or have any questions, go ahead and shoot your questions. Um, I'm just clear that we're going to get our answers tonight and I'm excited about that. And let's see, he also was a professor um, at the U.S. Air Force Academy where he taught um, intro to psychology and leadership psychology courses. So I feel like, y'all, he's going to be legit. Like, we're not just bringing in anybody, you know, like, oh, you know, I once in a while toy around with it. No, he's like studied. And so um, we'll be able to ask him our questions. So let's bring him on and get our conversation going. Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Because I couldn't hear, I can you. hear you. Great. How about you? Awesome. Yes, I can hear you now. All right. So I have—I've given our viewers a bit about a bit about your background. I've told them that like you studied everything, you know everything, and you're gonna come in and just set us straight on the enneagram tonight. Is that—is that correct?
0: Yeah. So I, I do want to just for integrity um, clarify a couple things. So I'm uh- in the process of completing my ThM and uh, my PhD, so I haven't completed those yet. Um, and then uh, I was an adjunct professor, so I wasn't a full professor, assistant professor, anything like that when I was teaching. It was um, kind of a master's level adjuncting type of role. So I just want to be clear on those things before we get started. And then uh, many people probably don't know much about the different intricacies, about the different subdisciplines of psychology, uh, between counseling and cognitive psychology and social psychology and um, developmental and all that, but uh, typically... Um, Social psychology is put together in personality psychology. So it's usually social and personality psychology because uh, we really can't necessarily separate them. Uh, When we look at how people interact and how they behave, a lot of that depends on a person's personality. And then also looking at a person's personality, we can't just predict how they will do or what they might do without considering the situation and social aspects as well. Um, So I just want to set those things out there before we get started.
1: Thanks for, for setting the, the stage for us. Can you tell us a little bit just about yourself, how you came to faith? What brought you into an interest in the Enneagram?
0: I came to faith um, largely because of apologetics. I was, didn't grow up in a Christian home and I was in college. I was studying psychology and I was actually in a psychology religion class. We had kind of these uh, questions and essays that we had to answer. It was just kind of reflection type things on what do you believe about the afterlife and morality and God and those kind of big world worldview questions. And I realized I didn't really know what I believed or why I believed it. And then the things I thought I believed were contradictory. So I was like, I need to figure this out um, and find out what, if anything, is true. And so I started studying religion, um, looking at it as logically as I could and rationally and seeing what, if anything, was true. And that's when I discovered Christian apologetics. And um, out of the, all the different views I looked at, that by far stood out as um, clearly the best one to that matched reality. And so I decided, again, that very logical, um, thoughtful process, okay, the evidence points to Christianity being true, therefore it would be foolish to not believe so I'm going to believe, but then to go a step further, uh, it only makes the best sense to commit my life to it. I'd grown up around Christians. I knew many Christians who were very half-hearted about it and lukewarm, and I said, that doesn't make sense in light of what Christianity teaches and so I'm going to go all in and that was about 15 years ago and I've been um, pretty heavily engaged in apologetics and ministry uh, since then Um, and it's kind of been what my kind of life has been about since that time. did you want me to go into the Enneagram as well then?
1: No, I'll ask you. I was just going to say um, you know that's awesome that apologetics and and you know how how you came to faith through understanding, you know, if this is true, then you know everything else must be false and the role that apologetics plays, the role that even, you know, we talk a lot about on our show, the the role that seminary can play in, in a person's life. And, um, yeah, I just, I think your story is awesome. I got to meet your girls, two of your girls earlier today and, um, and I've met your wife a couple of times. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate you being here. Thank you for telling us. Yeah. Now, what is the Enneagram? And, um, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about the, the intricacies of it. What is it for those of us who don't know?
0: Yeah. So it. Part of this depends on who you ask, I guess, is the way to say it. But if you look at the books by um, Richard Rohr and Helen Palmer and some of the people who are kind of leaders in the Enneagram movement, their books will constantly use the the term personality. Um, So the Enneagram personality system or something along those lines, very similar to that. And um, I make that clear because I talk to a lot of people when they uh, hear what I say about the Enneagram, they'll say, well, it's not a personality measure or something like that. It's a spiritual measure and, Um, say, well, the experts or supposed experts in it use the word personality. And then coming at it as like a personality psychologist, it's telling you the same kind of things that any other personality test does. And so that's essentially what it is. It's a um, personality test or system that attempts to explain who a person is, who people are. Uh, And it breaks people up into nine different categories and says that you are one of these different types. You have one of these different personality types, which is are supposed to be based on motivation. So your core drives and motivations, what really pushes you to do what you do and act what you act, and then even um, your fears or concerns and how those motivate you to um, try to compensate for um, your fears or overcome them in some way. Um, I'm looking at it, and kind of what it claims to be is a, a personality system. That's I guess they it, it would claim is more encompassing and is also a spiritual tool as well as, say, a personality tool that goes deeper than, um, again, what the Enneagram experts would claim is goes deeper than some of the other personality tools that people might be familiar with, such as the Myers-Briggs, which is also known as the MBTI um, or the Big Five or something like that.
1: Okay. Now, I feel like people are either I don't feel like anybody's really neutral about it. They're either on one side, like, yay, Enneagram or dang, no, no Enneagram. Um, And I feel like I see this on, um, on either side. So um, it's not that like, oh, only lay people are, you know, for it and pastors are really against it. If you like it, then you like it. And if you don't, then you don't. And, like it, people who don't, they say, well, it's a gateway to the new age and that it's demonic. And if as soon as you take the the Enneagram, then you're going to be, you know, soon into all the other things. Like it, it's like you go from the Enneagram to the Ouija board. I don't know. Have you heard like this debate or anything?
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of that debate and I kind of approached that, you know, with my theology background and try and look at it, um, theologically and philosophically and, um, I, I try to sidestep that because my perspective and where I'm coming from is regardless of where something comes from, I want to know whether or not it's accurate. So in the case of the Enneagram, if it's attempting to explain things about people and how they act and how they think and how they feel, if if it's accurate and true, I want to use that. And I would um, use an analogy such as say uh, something like Tylenol, right? If, if Tylenol or some other medication was invented by, you know, some Hindu mystic or something like that you know, for specifically the purpose of um, even promoting their faith. But it turns out that it had really strong pain properties and became a, a big useful uh, drug. I would still want to use that if it can be beneficial or same with the more widely used personality tests. Like the big five is probably the biggest, most well known among, at least among scientists, um, not in the business world, but among scientists, it's most usually used is the big five. Um, if, you know, again, some sort of new age um, guru came up with that, um, if it's accurate, I want to use it, I want to um, try and use it to the best that I, I can to use that. Uh, so the philosophical term, I guess, would be the genetic fallacy, that, which would be to discount something simply because of where it came from, which is really tempting to do. But, um I want to test the enneagram and look at the enneagram on its merits, and if it if it can really do what it claims to do. And so that's really my approach and how I came to it when I first heard about it is to say, well, wow, this seems great, um, but let me find out if it's really as great as it claims to be, and if it if it can do all the things that it claims to be, and look at it very um, carefully, and thoughtfully, and using as much evidence as I can, and not just kind of anecdotal testimonies because you, know, you, get, you get a lot of people that have testimonies about how great things are that are complete and effective. Um, you go back through the history of like snake oil salesmen and um, the placebo effect and all these different things. So I want to know um, really in every way that I can, is it good? You know, putting everything aside, does it accurately describe people? That's that's really been my only interest and in what I've been looking for as I've started to investigate it.
1: So really verifying like this does actually work or this doesn't actually work and what's the proof behind it and all of that, correct?
0: Right, yeah, spot on.
1: Okay, and just out of curiosity, I'm I'm sure we'll get there in a minute. I'm wondering like, what is some of the research saying? So
0: um, one, it's tough because there's not a lot of research on it. Um, Most, if you were to ask most personality psychologists, a lot of them have probably never even heard of it. And then um, those of them that have, um, they, they basically just laugh at it and look at it as a joke and kind of roll their eyes like I can't believe people um, would use this type of thing because it, there there's very little actual scientific evidence on it of people investigating it scientifically. Um, but what's out there, it doesn't fare well, even though it's done primarily by people promoting and advocating for the Enneagram. Um, There's only several, maybe 10 or 15 studies that really look at the reliability and validity of it. Um, Only one was from someone who was um, clearly trying to um, disprove it. Um, All the others were about people talking about how great it is in the article and um, how it could be potentially useful. Um, So uh, even its advocates are having a hard time showing it is a reliable tool. Hmm.
1: Now you're talking about the validity of it. And, um, a little while ago, you alluded to the Myers-Briggs test. When we look at things like the Myers-Briggs, is there any studies of like those personal personality tests as actually being a thing, and are they valid?
0: Yeah. So there's there's a lot of ways to test uh, something like a personality test, and whether or not it is. Um, valid and reliable. Those are kind of the two big terms people use all the time. Um, one way would be to look at what's called the psychometric properties of the test. So this is essentially you would give the test to, you know, a thousand different people. And then you look to see um, if there are certain patterns and things that are um, coming up because you would want to have some sort of overlap between questions to make sure you're capturing every aspect of something. And so um, if, if a test is reliable, meaning that it will produce similar results over and over, you would see um, certain scores, uh, we call it a reliability score, um, that would be like 0.7 or above, so like 70% it would be what you would say. And so uh, I'm not sure exactly on how the MBTI, um, the Myers-Briggs fares on that, um, but if you look at something like the Big Five, which is the most popularly used one, um, all those scores are... Um, and it varies from study to study, but the typical is about 0.85 uh, to 0.91, so very high reliability scores. Um, and so that would be one way to test it. Meanwhile, you have the Enneagram um, scores very low. A lot of the scores are down like 0.5 and 0.6, and they're very low for the different types. So that would be one way to test it, um, which is ironically a lot of people, again, when they Really like the enneagram. They they talk to me about it and tell me how it can be tested scientifically. Um, they really have no awareness of how you would test something like that. They don't they don't know what psychometrics are. The people who are kind of the experts in the enneagram, um, all but one of them are have degrees outside of psychology. Um, they're, they're theologians or lay people that don't really know about this kind of rigorous way to test and um, look at the the properties of tests and whether or not it's reliable and valid. Um, Only one person has a clinical psychology degree. And um, as far as I can tell, no specialty in something like psychometrics or um, test design or anything like that. Um, And so that's one thing to consider when using this test is not necessarily an appeal to authority, but to understand like maybe question, why are people using this? Why are the people pushing it? Why don't they have, what you expected credentials in the field that would do that. Um, so back to your question, though. Um, so we have psychometrics the kind of internal kind of things to look at the test. And the other would be to just test what it says and see if it's true. And so if the Enneagram says, and I don't know if any type says this, but just as an example, if it says that a certain type, um, people tend to be anxious and outgoing. Well, you could test that. You Again, you'd give it to a 1,000 people. and you see, do those two things go together? Is it really matching what it says to match? Um, you could do what's called predictive validity. So you would say, well, if this personality style, this type is what it claims, and we would expect these type of people to not only go into certain jobs, but be successful at those jobs, Um things like that, we, we see some of the Enneagram systems will talk about relationships and what makes a good relationship between pairs. And so they'll say certain types shouldn't be together and certain types should be together. So again, that's something you can test through divorce rates, marital happiness, um, all these different ways that we could test it, and look at it. Um, and really the, the scientific stuff, that's out there has only scratched the surface of it's really just the tip of the iceberg looking at are these initial descriptions of the types of the nine types are they what they say they are and so far the the analysis that the data has come back is no they're not really what they claim to be whereas when you look at um, at least the big five or the mmpi which is um, another very well respected personality test and the hexaco those are probably the the main three um, as far as being respected within the scientific community um, they fare very well in those types of tests. Um, The Myers-Briggs not as much especially if you look at um, what's called test retest reliability so you give a person a test at one point and then you give it to them at another point say three months or a year later are they scoring in the same Mm -hmm. same way and personality does shift a little bit so you would expect some change um, but not drastic change. And I know with the MBTI Um, it's only 50% people end up in the same type after they've taken a separate time. Although I do have to give a little bit of a caveat because they kind of account for that in your system and say that some people will shift, um, just so with the MBTI, you get four letters. Sometimes people will shift one of those letters, um, because typically they will be maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, and so if you account for that happening, then it's something like 90 plus percent reliability from test, retest reliability, um, But again, still faring much better than the Enneagram, which the one article that looked at it um, had very low, it was around 50 or 60% test, retest reliability.
1: Wow. So what what I hear you saying is that there's not a lot of scientific research around the Enneagram. What scientific research is done around the Enneagram, it has very low test results. Those people who are advocating and putting out information about the Enneagram aren't qualified in the field but yet people are like flocking to it like in order for me to get two jobs I had to take this test and I mean it was like worth its weight in gold for me to get this for me to get one of my jobs I remember um when I can't say what job it was but you know like it was like if I don't do this and show them what my number is then they wouldn't know what team I went on and if I really um like should be on this team. And if they were missing my number as a part of their overall staffing structure. So like, and then when I took the test, it seemed like it just was like all, I was like, yes, this is like an old friend. I am like, you know me, you've been there with me. So why is it like, why is it so eerily accurate for some?
0: Yeah. So, um, the article I wrote on this on my website, I actually list out 12 different kind of psychological reasons why this happens. Um, one of which is just, I think, chance and coincidence. If, if you Think of it like a broken clock, right? A bro- broken clock is right twice a day. And so if a million people take this test, um, for some of them it's going to be very accurate, uh, especially on the surface. Um, and as you get down, maybe it'll be less so, but you've already been kind of wrapped in. So that would be one reason. So I, I, I definitely, I don't deny that for some people, it is very incredibly accurate um, for sure that that happens. Uh, the other part is uh, and probably most common is what's going on is called the Barnum effect or the Forer effect. Um, so uh, the original researcher who came up with this, his name was For, his last name, um, and it kind of morphed into the Barnum effect because of P.T. Barnum kind of selling this idea of something for everyone. And so what this is, is this idea that uh, basically people are very prone to describe themselves in ways that they're described. Um, So the original study where he looked at this, he gave horoscopes actually to his students in a um, psychology class. So he gave them horoscopes. um, So he had them fill out this test, 13 questions, and then um, a month later, I think it was, he came back and said, okay, here are your results. And he gave them all the same exact results. And out of the 39 students, um, 20, 28 of them said that the 10 or more of the questions of the, the character types described them extremely well. So you have this huge number of people who looked at this thing and there the, are the, supposed personalized results that were really the same for everyone. And they were all saying basically, um, yeah, this described me very well. Um, and then five students said nine out of 13, and then five said eight out of 13. And only one person said less than half. And the um, person said five out of 13 described them. Um, and so the reason this happens is because we have a, with horoscopes and even with the Enneagram, you have these very broad kind of statements you also have a lot of these really positive statements. And so if someone's reading that, they're immediately going to think in terms of um, an instance where that was true of them. And so if it says you're um, very – and actually I can pull this up because I'm – when I've taken the Enneagram, it actually types me as a five, which is kind of like the rational investigator type. Um, Although that's what usually comes up. I've taken it several times and it's typed me as a – a one, five, seven, eight, and nine.
1: I only got an eight. Both times I took it, I was only an eight.
0: And usually, I think most times, probably half the times I've taken, it's been a five. And I would probably say that describes me best, but these other types describe me very well too in in some ways. But if you look at um, some of the things I'm on right now, I've pulled up the Enneagram Institute website, which is one of the leaders in it. So it says, Vibes are alert, insightful, and curious. That's the first words right out of the gate. So those are pretty positive, good things that really kind of describe anyone. Um, It goes on to say, you know, independent, innovative, inventive, and so these are usually good kind of positive things that most people, if this describes them or they think it's describing them, especially if the first one or two things really hit it on the dot, they're going to kind of have this confirmation bias where they start thinking of different instances where yeah, they meet that um yeah, that's like me. Um, there's really no relationship or showing how you compare to other people. It's not saying you know you're more inventive than. 90% of people or 10% of people like something like the big five would do that makes it a little more accurate and scales it. And so that's really the main driver I think that's going on is you get this um, Barnum effect or four effect where you, know, you have these broad generalized statements that are pretty positive and uh, it makes sense to describe most people. And so um, most likely um, any type or just about any type, if, if someone was told that's their type, they would read it and be like, yeah, wow, this really describes me really well, which Maybe it does, maybe it only describes you 60 or 70%, but when when some things are hitting on the head like that, then those other ones, you tend to forget about those or not dwell on those and say, okay, well, maybe that's me, but um, that in some instances, but this other part really gets me right. And so it's really a whole barrage of different psychological effects going on. And then the other one being the social aspect where a lot of people will, do the enneagram together as a group and talk about it as a group and so one instance where i walked in and i was at a party for, with a bunch of friends um actually apologists oddly enough and people started talking about the enneagram and how great it was and i'm not going to be the person to come up and say oh yeah well it's really not valid and not reliable and didn't get me right um i'm not going to do that just to upset kind of the social atmosphere of the party and to get people turning on me and asking these questions and um, being critical. And so I'm just going to be quiet and move on. And a lot of people after reading my articles have said, yeah, they, they felt that same way. And they're glad that I wrote my articles because it kind of gave them words to say if it does come up or someone does kind of pin them in a corner, because we kind of sometimes forget how social pressure can, Lead people to sometimes be silent um, if something if it doesn't describe them well, or they don't think it's a good test. Uh, so again, probably like, like I said, my website I list out twelve, but I I, I list several times how confirmation bias, uh, another big one, really plays into it in several different ways. Um, so it, it is it kind of creates this perfect storm of different psychological things going on in our mind, where it just is like, oh wow, this is really great, um, and so people kind of buy into it and jump into it. Um, and because in many cases, it does describe them in, in many ways, but it also describes pretty much everyone else. And we forget that we get focused on ourselves and um, how it fits for us and not whether or not it applies to all the other people it claims to apply to.
1: Jay, so like just between you and me, are are you trying to say I was duped? Like, is is that the scientific word that that, that you would use to describe my situation as an ape? I was duped.
0: I mean, if you want to put it that way, I'll, I'll let you say that. But I look at it more in terms of when, I, you know, one of the topics I study is um, bias and psychological biases and why we think certain things happen when they don't. Um, and it's just it's the way God designed our minds, which may on the surface be like, oh, that's a really bad idea. But we use a lot of mental shortcuts to called heuristics that really just help us you know, function from day to day and routine lives. And it helps us so that we can drive cars and make quick decisions and interact with people socially. And, you know, it helps us get along really well. Um, When I do apologetics presentations, I'll do a lot of kind of mind tricks and it kind of takes advantage of some of these little blind spots or shortcuts that we have that are kind of just pre-programmed into the way that our minds think. And again, They usually work really well, but when you get some very intricate things going on or when when something is complex or requires a lot of complex thought, those aren't really the most useful tools for understanding things. And so when we're kind of on cruise control, our mind is not really thinking critically about evaluating things and their truth. Uh, Sometimes we cannot always see see the negatives. or may, maybe a, a better way might be to talk about lobotomies. Everyone's familiar with lobotomies, right? We know how terrible they were and how awful they were for so many people, but what most people don't know is that they were actually really effective and the person who came up with lobotomies was given a Nobel Prize for it uh, 15 years after he came up with it. But that's because there was this huge hype, it was this great new medical technology and thing that seemed to really cure a whole lot of medical diseases or um, psychological disorders. Uh, but it was only after several years of it being this huge new fad after tens of thousand people were lobotomized that people stopped saying, Hey, wait, there's some negative side effects here. And it's leaving people in catatonic states or um, taking away their personality and um, leaving them unable to function on their own. And so uh, this happens uh, to a lot of people all the time. It's, it's again, just how our brains are. We have to really be careful about balancing both the pros and cons of things and looking looking at both sides and not just gravitating automatically to the positive and the things that are, kind of make intuitive sense.
1: I think that's a good word. I'm I'm trying to still wrap my mind around the idea that I've been duped by my own flattery of myself. Cause the eight step, we got some good, there are some good parts to the number eight, but when, when we were talking about this and in, in prepping for the show yesterday or a couple of days ago, um, And one of the things that came to my mind was this idea of confirmation bias. And I wonder if it's just confirming some things that I've either seen or thought about myself or that other people may have described about me or, you know, I have no idea. But it just it really landed like, wow, this is really me. And now I'm like, womp, womp, womp. Maybe not. Maybe not. But let's go to some comments. Um, I saw that the chat box was pretty busy. Let's see here. Um, let's start on YouTube. I I'm not sure which one she's referring to. If she can, do
0: you want let's me to see. take one here? Do you? you want no, to yeah,
1: I'll shoot them over to you. Um, let's see. Do these tests ever say anything bad about people?
0: Yeah. So, I think this is another reason why the enneagram is so popular and i would say it's actually kind of a positive about it is that the enneagram will say like it encourages growth which i would say that's a good thing um, in and of itself You know, we, people we, we want to grow we want to grow as people we want to grow as neighbors we want to grow closer to god we should want to grow and the enneagram uh, kind of makes value judgments it will say um, if you're doing this this is unhealthy if you're doing that it's healthy Um, here's the ways that you can grow and develop. And I think that is one of the big driving forces why it it has become so popular above and beyond some of these other personality tests because uh, usually you get personality tests with real psychologists. And other than extreme situations, they're usually not going to make value judgments. They're going to say, okay, let's look at the trait of conscientiousness. If you're high in conscientiousness or low, that's not good or bad. That's just who you are. But it may create some advantages to be high in it, and there may be some advantages to be low with it. And here's how you work within it. Here's who you are. So it's not saying this is good or bad. And really, there hasn't been a whole lot of work done in applying it and looking at how some of these things can um, be used to your benefit, um, so that you can have some level of growth. And so that would say I'd say that's somewhat of a shortcoming with. Hmm the field of psychology is not willing to make some of those value judgments of what is good or bad um, in personality tests or even um, where they have not being strong enough in the wording because we can look at some of the, um, we call it the dark triad, it's Machiavellianism, um, antisocial, and um, I'm blanking on the other, but you get kind of get these manipulative behaviors with people um, we can look at a personality test and say someone probably fits within there and they have some pretty dark traits and might do some harm. Um, but again, we wouldn't go that and say, well, therefore this person should or shouldn't have that job or will or will not be good at it. Um, so that's probably going too far. Um, so that, that's something, I guess, to keep in mind. And um, hopefully in coming years, there will be some growth in that area of personality psychology. And I know, for instance, Jordan Peterson, um, who some people may, mm-hmm. everyone's probably familiar with him. Yeah. Um, he, he's certainly a popularizer, but he, he's done some real work in the field of personality with some colleagues and has developed a, um, a shortened version of the Big Five where they, they try and do that and use that for kind of clinical use and say, here's how you can grow in this area or that area, or how it might um, create difficulty or be more advantageous. So um, that that's certainly. Left a hole that Enneagram has helped build, but I think that hole will uh, close up here in the next. And it's hard to put a year at it because sometimes science moves really fast and sometimes it's really slow. Um, but hopefully, in the next five or 10 years, there gets to be more work done on how um, personality traits, certain personality traits, can be um, good or bad, or um, maybe even a better word to how they might create difficulty and how they might be advantageous in different types of situations that's the other thing to always consider is the situation matters and um, the situation is usually, not always, but usually more powerful than the personality. And so if you want to predict someone's behavior, you probably want to know more about the situation rather than the person to do that.
1: Hmm you you keep referring to the big five, not the big five do you call it the big five I think when I, when I think about the big five, I think about the um the five animals in Africa that are the big five so uh, now you're referring to what did you call it the big five yep. um what are what are the big five what are you what so, are you meaning when you refer to that
0: yeah so the version of the test is referred to as the neo it's n e o Uh, it's complicated by just if someone's googling i want to make sure they have all the information but usually if you just google big five that will come up and the the best way to remember that is the acronym ocean so o would be openness to experience c would be conscientiousness e is extroversion a is agreeableness and n is neuroticism and so those are kind of with the big five system you have those five traits instead of saying okay based on those we're going to stick you kind of force you into a certain type it's going to give you a percentile for each trait so it's going to say all right well for openness to experience you're in the 50th percentile Um, for conscientiousness you're in the 10th percentile for neuroticism you're in the 80th percentile so you'll get a different score for each of those um, kind of things and so it doesn't put you into a box that you might not fit into or that you might again so if you're in the 50th percentile sometimes you might be a little low based on your mood or what happened in that day or the situation, sometimes you might be higher. And so it's not stuffing you in the box. And then, um, so those are the five broad domains, but actually if you take a long version of the test within each of those five domains, it will give you six more um, different personality traits that you're evaluated on. So it gets a little more specific. Um, but most of the research has done been done on that main do- domain level at the um big five traits rather than the um 30 sub traits.
1: Okay, so the big 5 and remember ocean. Yep. All right. Now we have a comment on Facebook. Sorry, I was just taking comments on YouTube, but let's go over to Facebook and see what's going on there. Um oh, everybody in the house. We got Nathan, Auntie Ariel. Uh, okay. Um see I wasn't I, I'm just by myself tonight. Normally I'm like looking around and playing with with the different groups. Okay. Let's see. Nathan says the Enneagram has really helped me see my sin and repent at a deeper level. For me, it's opened me up to understanding where I miss it and where I am in deepest need for sanctification. What do you think about that? Like I, I, I think as I took it, it just, I was more of like, well, see, this is how I am. (laughs) This is, that's just me. You get what you get. And there's a test to prove it. Um, What about the idea that, you know, it's open, it's opening people up to understand, wow, this, this is an area that I really need to work on that. I really need to repent from.
0: Yeah. So I've I've heard that a lot from different people on how the Enneagram has been so great and how it's helped them. And I can't speak for specific situations. Um, I'm sure it has helped people. I don't doubt that it has. Again, if you have a big enough pool of people, there's going to be a lot of people where it does help. Um, but is it worth advocating and using if there's also going to be people where it harms them? Um, and some serious harm can come from using the Enneagram. So I, I don't want people to forget that. Uh, and maybe this is a little sidebar, but this might be a good place to bring it up. Um, I've had people tell me a lot of stories about how it's been really negative. I've had one person, it caused their relationship to end because the, um, she said that she couldn't be with someone of that type. Um, claiming that you know anger was his issue and she couldn't handle that. Um, my wife, after we had started after I'd started getting into the Enneagram and talking about it and, and the kind of the science of it, she was on her way back from a conference. And in fact, it might have even been the Women's and Apologetics Conference. Um, she overheard someone on on the shuttle saying how it really opened up a lot to her and now she um, isn't sure she should still be with her husband anymore. Um, which may seem extreme, but I had another instance where I talked to someone where um, the Enneagram basically caused the end of their 22 year marriage. Uh, husband got into it, was introduced to it through a business person, and really got into it and discovered himself and really who he was. And in doing that, it revealed to him that apparently he married the wrong type of person and they just weren't compatible. And so their 22 year marriage ended. So, um, again, yes, there are people it helps but there's also people where it causes really severe harm and damage. Um, and so we don't want to forget that just because it worked for one person. doesn't mean it's going to work for the other. And again, there's always that risk with anything, but when all the evidence is showing that the Enneagram is not really reliable, especially when you get into some of the deeper parts of it, such as the wings and the triads and the relationships between the types, which gets very complex, but it's just, all of that is not very reliable. And so, Um, We can't forget
1: that. Yeah. And I think also like it, it just reminds us that we can't put anything above scripture. We can't put anything above, you know, God's word and, um, I think that that can happen when people start to look at the Enneagram for direction for their relationship, for direction with their business or even just direction with leading the, their like their own lives. Well, if I, I need to do this because I'm an eight or I need to do this because I'm a five. Well, what if you need to do this because this is what the word of God is saying? You know, how do we make sure that we keep scripture first and that we keep our relationship with with the Holy Spirit first in in what we do and how we navigate our lives? Um But I, I, that makes me think of, you know, when people are are using this tool to guide their relationships, to tell them what relationship they should be in and what relationship they shouldn't be in. What do you see as like the drive for ministries to use it or businesses to even use it? Like, I know what it was like, you know, when I was taking the test and how they used it at my job. But what are some of your thoughts um maybe this is probably more in the organizational psychology side, but you know, what is what is that drive for churches and ministries to to use the Enneagram?
0: Yeah, so I think there's a couple. So one, I, th- I think people for the most part are genuinely trying to do good for their business and organization. Um, but what's happening is I think they feel um the MBTI, which is most popular among businesses but again, isn't really used in science because it's lower reliability than the big five. Um, But that's expensive and behind a paywall because that's handled by an organization who came up with it. So I think the Enneagram kind of fills a void there where it it seems to explain a lot and go above and beyond the MBTI and might seem better and it's cheaper. Um, Probably not free or maybe not free, at least for the full package, but certainly probably cheaper than the MBTI. So I think that's part of it. Um, Along with that, this kind of relates to the previous comment, and I know one of the explanations for why the Enneagram seems to be so helpful for some people is what's called an attribution error. Um, And so this is when we do one thing and it has an effect, maybe I should start over. We do two different things, there's an effect, and we attribute it to one thing when it was really the other. Um, And so a good example of this might be the claim that sugar makes kids hyperactive. It's something we all have heard, we all probably believe it, but when scientists have tested that in a double blind situation where they've actually given kids sugar or fake sugar and then asked their parents to rate their behavior, what happened was that the kids who got sugar were no more hyperactive than the kids who didn't. Um, the moms just rated their kids higher if they thought the moms the kids had sugar. So what we have there is usually it's not the sugar that makes the kids hyperactive, but when they get candy or cake or something there, sometimes it might be with caffeine or it's at a party or fun event and kids are told they might, Be getting hyper, and so they really do get hyper. And so it's it's kind of a similar thing with the enneagram. I think a lot of people go into it, and for the first time, they're really looking into themselves. They're introspecting in ways they haven't before. They're probably talking about it with a spouse or some friends. All these are good things, but all this can be accomplished with any other personality tool. Um, But because it's the enneagram they're using, they're saying these effects are due to the enneagram instead of due to this. And so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind and why. Uh, churches have latched on to it is because we do seem to get some growth where people, you know, it gives them a weight and, and a path to grow, and so it seems like something. Okay, let's go with this because it'll help our organization. But they don't really have ways to follow up and check is it really helping people or is it just making people think it's helping? And what about for you know everyone as a whole? Um, a lot of this goes untested, and just this, based on assumptions of who happens to be the leader and if they they're the ones that started out with this um, sort of test and wanted their staff or their um, people, their ministry to use it.
1: And you find, and maybe you said, and I missed it. I'm sorry. I was trying to read another comment. Um, do you find that people will actually hire based on the numbers they're missing?
0: Yeah. So maybe not necessarily their missings. Uh, I'm sure they do. People want to get different numbers that they're missing, but I've also heard it used and where they're wanting numbers that are similar because certain numbers are kind of, um, maybe not feared, but thought that they won't fit in that environment. And so they want a cohesive team. And so there's this idea that you know this type won't fit with this team. And so we're only gonna hire these certain types um, often would be based on the triad. So you've got the, um, is it the two, three and four are part of a triad, the four, five and six, and then the eight, nine and the one. Um, yeah, so there's the, the image there. And so those triads, the, the three that go together, those kind of are the underlying fear. And so you say, well, we only want people from this triad and that one um, because there's other ones that make work more complicated. And so I've heard a lot of people using it kind of on that. And ironically, if you do get hired, part of those teams I've heard where people that happens and they feel like they're outsiders and people exclude them and don't treat them well or if they originally mistyped them, begin again it's not really reliable tests and so typing yourself is unreliable it's even more unreliable trying to type someone else so one instance i had someone who was typed as originally one number by their team but then the team is like oh no maybe i think it they're that person instead and so when they type them as a different type everyone started treating that person different because they thought you know he was going to get angry at them or um wasn't capable of fitting in or compromise or all these things and none of that was true nothing changed about him except their perceptions
1: Hmm. wow that's that's really interesting um uh, we have a comment from jason reynolds on facebook uh let's see here it says I've listened to many, many hours of Ian Morgan Crohn's podcast, and even he would say the tests are at best 70 percent accurate. What he would say is that what the Enneagram offers is how it digs into the negative aspects of your personality and how to do the work of being more self-aware with the negative aspects of your personality. He would say the idea is not to flag wave and just sit in their corner and say, well, I'm a five and that's just who I am and not do the work. How would you address these kinds of things?
0: Yeah. So some of this, you know, you have different systems in the Enneagram. They're all essentially the same, but there are some differences in them. And so some of the Enneagram systems you read, they'll specifically say this will give you insight into your soul or the soul of other people that they might not even be aware of yourself. And so it's setting the system up to say, Hey, this is who you are. Right. And you, one book even said you will know people sometimes better than they know themselves if you know their number, uh, because it's a system that says if this is your type, this is who you are and it doesn't change. And if you question that, you say it's wrong, it's either because you're not being honest with yourself or you're just not going deep enough. And so it creates a system where if you question it, you're doing wrong, you're not accepting it, you're being dishonest, which again, I've heard stories of this creating a lot of guilt and fear among people and making them feel really bad and left out. Um, So maybe that's not an issue with Chrome's system and how he uses it. Um, The other, I would say, well, maybe some of those aspects of personality might not necessarily be negative they might certainly create obstacles but those might not be negatives um so that's a, another aspect to consider um and so kind of keeping these things in balance and again is that really the enneagram that's revealing this or is it that you're finally just doing some sort of introspection and learning about what your tendencies are what your sins might be or what you struggle with which is something you could probably do with any close friend or family member or um, You know, going through and doing a big five personality test and really going through line by line and each different type and reading about what it says and what it reveals about you. Because the issue with the Enneagram is it might say, okay, here's your sin and your weakness, but that might not align with your type. So you might have to take your type and say, okay, this describes kind of generally who I am, but this type seems to describe my sins better or my fears And then it will give you a path to say, well, here's a path to getting healthy, which again, probably isn't right, probably isn't any more accurate than a random throw at a dartboard. And so to really, if you want to use the Enneagram system effectively, unless again, you're one of those people by chance where it just happens to describe everything in every way, you have to think and use it and say, no, this is not right, but this is, and that's not, which again, under most systems isn't actually using it right. Uh, And it's something that you could get by going through any probably personality system and going through each individual trait and kind of thinking about and reading about what that describes about you. But the problem is a lot of those other systems don't kind of lay that on a silver platter for you as well. So it takes an extra level of work and a lot of people um, don't know how to do that, or they're not willing to do that because it's really hard.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think um, when I, when I was um, looking at the Enneagram, a couple of years ago, I definitely looked at like the positive parts and the parts that I was like, oh, I need to do this work. I wasn't I wasn't so quick to do. So maybe I wasn't utilizing it right um, or using it as a, as, you know, the way that it should be used. But one of the things that I that keeps coming back to me is like, you know, if we looked to scripture for for some of these answers, if we looked if we were looking at like the idea of our sin and. And, you know, what is my sin? How, how, what are the negative places in my life or um, in my personality or however you want to, you know, define that, that the Lord would like to reshape and refine. Um, getting in a conversation with the Holy Spirit first about those things. Maybe then we wouldn't need or or see such a great need for things like the Enneagram. But um, one of the things, and I know we need to wrap up. Thank you for your time. But I, I do want to get this question in. Um, I alluded to it earlier, like that people who are against the Enneagram and, you know, just say that it is like this new age tool or it's from the occult. I kind of feel like they do think like you go from the Enneagram to the Ouija board and there's really no, you know, steps in between. Um, Do you think that that's a valid claim? Like, do you think that um, the Enneagram is like an inroad to, to new age and or um, that it is just completely, you know, a new age tool?
0: So I, I would maybe take a somewhat of a middle position on that. So again, over and over there's not a lot but there's you know 10 15 studies by enneagram advocates and one you know by someone trying to disprove it all of them showing that it's not reliable it's not as accurate as people think it is there's explanations for why it seems to work it's just not a reliable tool and so really the and i've met with people people who use it even in counseling settings who should know better but you know, we've met face to face and we've talked about it. And again, it's just this, well, it worked for me, it worked for me, it worked for me. And so it's more of that, that unwillingness to think critically about things, that, that just acceptance of intuition and emotion as truth is it, really sloppy thinking. And that, I think, not the Enneagram itself, but that type of thinking and unwillingness to um, really confront what your personal experience seems to tell you when there's evidence much stronger in the opposite direction. That's the type of thinking which I think leads to um, heresies. It leads to um, occultic practices. It leads to all kinds of bad stuff. And so it's not that the Enneagram itself is leading to it, but it's it's the thinking style of those who kind of latch onto it and grab onto it because they don't know better. And again, there are exceptions, so I'm not saying everyone who uses it or likes it is a sloppy thinker. Um, there's a lot of reasons why that's not the case. Um, but broadly speaking, um, young know, people who aren't, if you're not willing to think about theology and scripture and science and logic and use these and apply these to your beliefs, that's it, going to lead to probably a lot of problems. And hmm. maybe might be one of the reasons why society is the way that it is today. Um, a lot of people have a lot of opinions, um, just based on their personal experience or their upbringing rather than um, based on the facts and based on reality
1: then as a, a Christian apologist and as a research psychologist you know do you do you think that this is something that Christians should stay away from um, like can you tell us a little bit of your thoughts on whether Christians should engage with the enneagram or not
0: yeah so i would say and one thing i haven't really mentioned is we should always consider how we present ourselves to other people, Mm -hmm. right? As Christians, we don't want to look and We want to be real and we want to be authentic. Um, So I'm not saying necessarily hide yourself. But um, again, this is an example. If you're talking to an atheist who's even semi-intellectual and you bring up the Enneagram, they're probably going to laugh at you and your whole belief system because it's going to sound so ridiculous. It really, like there have been astrologers who are using the enneagram and saying no the enneagram and the astrology they're really the same thing and here's how the 12 astrology symbols fit with the nine enneagram things and they've done that because it really is such a similar system and so that's something we should always think about as well and so it's not reliable it gives people a bad impression and it has definitely a lot of negative side effects for people Um, in addition to positive i don't want to say it doesn't have positive effects on some people because it does But because of those reasons, um, I would say Christians just shouldn't use it and should stay away from it. I would say if an employer makes them take it or something, it's not going to bring harm to them to do it. Um, But I would say don't rely on it and talk about it and use it necessarily as your thing. There's a lot of better tools to use it. So um, go and you can Google Big Five Test or you can find different versions of that or even uh, the Hexaco. That's one I haven't talked about. It's H E X-A-C-O, that's basically like the big five, but it has an extra trait on there, humility, um, a humility factor. So um, you can look up one of those, uh, big five, Hexaco, do one of those, and then go through it very carefully with a friend, a spouse, a family member, um, something like that, and that will reveal probably anything you can get from the Enneagram, but more accurately, you won't fall into those biases. Um, So I would say stay away from it um, because it's not um, overall um, for the, the body of Christ as a whole, I would say it, it is not a good thing. And um, so I would say for those reasons, stay away from it.
1: Wow. So we've heard the scientific reasons and, and looking at the scientific reasons and um, just as, as the body of Christ and as a body of believers, um, the the negative impacts that can, that it can have. And no, that doesn't mean that everything about it is going to be negative 100% of the time or anything like that. But we should be um, extremely cautious about approaching it. And if at all possible, stay away from it. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. Jay, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been, it's been hugely helpful and um, it's given me some other things to ponder and think about as, you know, I think about the Enneagram and, um, you know, knowing people who, who use the Enneagram as a tool and at one point, you know, me using the Enneagram as a tool and things like that and wondering, you know, between like an occultic origin and scientific research, where do I land? You know, I'm not going to take offense, I'm gonna be above offense with you calling me duped. I hear you, but that's all right. I don't I don't I don't take it personal. I know it was for my good. Um, but I do think that you bring a lot of wisdom and insight into What are we participating in as Christians? Where are we getting our information from? Are we, you know, putting just putting something on top of scripture or are we really digging into scripture first and looking at, you know, what what does the word say? And then what does science say before we begin to dive into something very deeply?
0: Yeah, it sounds very great. Um, A lot of wisdom in there. So that's a great summary
1: and wrap up. All right. Well, thank you very much. I know it's a couple hours ahead where you are. So thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I will talk with you again, hopefully.
0: All right. I'll talk to you later.
1: All right. Thanks. Bye. Wow. You know, the idea that I may have been duped is kind of unsettling in my heart. Um, But wow. What good information. I want to go to the comments and see if there's anything, um, lingering not necessarily for jay but i thought i saw some other comments um in there one that may have been for me yeah let's see krista had one for me she said a question for monique do you think sjw social justice warriors could use the enneagram to tell certain people how they need to do the work of knowing their oppressor habits mm, no i don't think so i mean um I think that the the work is just the work and you, everybody needs to do all the work. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't personally use the Enneagram for that. Um but yeah, that's just my thought on it. Now, we are we're getting close to time. My goodness, time is going quick. Um let us or let us see Chris is not here tonight. It's just me. Um you know, me and Holy Spirit I'm like let us. Let me. Um Let's see. Tomorrow night, Kristen, I please be praying that she's feeling better. We'll be speaking at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. And we're going to talk about critical race theory. It's going to be like a crash course. It's called race, injustice and critical theory using scripture to define humanity. We're going to be looking at um, critical race theory, why it is antithetical to the gospel um, is there anything good to pull from it? And answering questions. It will be live stream. so you can check out the CFBU Facebook page, I believe, for more information on that, on how to get the live stream. And um yes, it starts at 633. There's their service once a month. It's called the 633 service. It will be in person. I'm excited to be with other people, like in a building and not just, you know, the family in the house. So We're looking forward to that. Please be praying for us. And let's see what else I have. Yes, Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona with Pastor Michael Lance. That is going to be where we are tomorrow night. And then earlier this, I think it was earlier this week. Gosh, I feel like the weeks, the days have kind of run together. might have been, yeah, toward the tail end of last week. Um, I released a blog called The Myth of Reverse Racism. And I got a a lot of good feedback, had some pushback on it, um, but I really wrote it. If you haven't read it, you can read it on the Center for Biblical Unity um, website right under the blog section. It is The Myth of Reverse Racism. I read an article and it was telling people of color that we should, you know, treat white people as like a mission field. And when, and I've been on the mission field, so, you know, when you're on the mission field, sometimes it's nice to be with other people who, you know, you hear the same accent. I remember, um, you know, being in South Africa for, you know, a year and not having a lot of other interactions with, um, with Americans. And when I would go either when I would come home or if I had American and I do have American friends in South Africa, sometimes it'd be like, oh my gosh, like, it's so cool just to hear the American accent, nothing against the South African accent, but wow, it it's nice just to be with other people who understand, you know, going to target or going and having in and out. If you live in one of the in and out States, there was something, um, something refreshing about that. And so in this blog post, the the writer is saying, you know, as as black people, sometimes it feels like when when we are working or living among white people, it can be overwhelming and so we need to think about being among whites as a mission field. And he laid out, you know, all these points And I was just like, this is the most racist. (laughs) Like, I I just I was really offended by it because, you know, if we were to flip the script and say, well, white people, if you're living among black people or people of color, you need to treat them like a mission field. Make sure you, you know, retreat and take time out and recharge and, you know, all of. And and it's not that you're just talking about the culture, you know, people who don't know Christ, but you're talking about people who are Christians, fellow believers. I would y'all when I say I was shook, I was, I was really shook by this. I was like, I know that they are not saying this. And so what I did in this blog is I reversed it and I, um, I just flipped black and white and put it out there as if a white person was telling other white people that they need to take a break from people of color and treat people of color like a mission field. And as I read it, I was just like, yes, this is, this is a problem. Um, And so I put it out and then, you know, just mentioned that this idea of reverse racism, it really is a myth because racism only goes one way. Like it goes from a heart that is sinful and wicked to a target or to a victim. And You know, the idea that racism going in reverse kind of inherent within that means that racism should only go one way. But if it goes in reverse, and it's kind of going in the opposite way of what it's meant to go. I think about it like a car. When a car goes forward, it's going the way that it's meant to go. Like cars aren't meant to be driven in reverse. Something's wrong. If I see a car going in reverse, I'm gonna think he's trying to get away from somebody, the car is broken, like something's wrong. And so When we think about racism, this idea that racism going in reverse, it's going in reverse when it's um, targeted toward a white person. I just think that's wrong. I think that racism is racism and it goes forward and it doesn't matter who it's going forward from and who it hits. It's still racism. So if a white person calls me out my name because of the color of my skin That's racism. And if I call a white person out of their name in some derogatory, you know, fashion because of the color of their skin, that's racism. It's no reverse racism. It's just the sin of racism. And so my hope in in putting out the article is that, you know, we get away from from these untrue terms and just call a thing a thing. Racism is racism. I don't care what your color is. I don't care what your background is, who your mama was. It's racism and we don't need to, to hide behind it or, you know, say that it's not this, it's not real racism because it was going from, you know, a person of color to a white person. We have to give this, um, this extra word to it. To me, that's, it's just racism. Um, let's see, are there, I'm gonna check the comments really quick before we get ready to sign off. Is there anything I'm missing? Let's see. I don't think so. All right. And then on Facebook, it looks like we're clear too. Man, y'all really coming through on Facebook. I see you. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Racism is racism. A heart issue. A sin. Period. Yes, Chuck. Come on through. Yes. It it really is. And we give it this this extra word. Like racism was never meant to, to hit people who aren't people of color. What? No. Racism is Racism. And that's just what it is. And we should call a thing a thing. Like one of the things that Kristen and I are really big about is defining our terms. What are you saying? Well, if you're defining your terms clearly, racism is racism. And there's no real thing of reverse racism. If you feel like um, you have experienced, if you're white and you've experienced racism, you haven't experienced reverse racism. You've experienced racism. And we should be clear on our terms. And let's see. You guys, make sure to check out our show notes from our past shows. You can find our shows at um, Theology Mom on Facebook, or I'm sorry, on YouTube, Theology Mom. And you can also find them at The Real Monique D and AllTheThingsShow.com. That's us. Um, and let's see, we do have a designated Facebook page for all the things. It's ATT Livestream. Then support the show, share the show. Please get the word out to your friends. Um, Yeah, tell people about the Center for Biblical Unity, Theology Mom. She's producing great content. She just did a um, live stream on reparations. And what does that look like? And should Christians jump on board with that or not? It was a really good live stream. Make sure to check that out. I believe it is shared on the Center for Biblical Unity Facebook page as well. But you can go to Theology Mom and find that on YouTube or TheologyMom.com is the website. Check out the Center for Biblical Unity at CenterForBiblicalUnity.com. And that's it. We will see you next week. Good night, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to All the Things.
1: Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever
0: you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.